In the next seven, eight weeks, I'm going to be giving a series of homilies on the sacraments, the seven sacraments. Um, you may have noticed on Christmas Day that we now have six candlesticks on the altar. It's the traditional um, number of candlesticks that are upon the altar after the, after the Second Vatican Council, even though the council said nothing about the candlesticks on the altar. As other things changed, um, the candlesticks disappeared. They're actually, I found our six candlesticks out in the garage. I have them presently in the sacristy. But um, they're the super tall ones from the high altar. And I wasn't going to put the tall ones on the altar. So um, thanks to the three generous donors, we're able to get four more candlesticks as well as the crucifix that's asked to be upon the altar. Um, but if you notice there, there's six that are present. The reason that there are six candlesticks, and then there are seven when the bishop comes, is that a priest can only celebrate six sacraments. He can only dispense six sacraments. He cannot ordain other men as deacons, priests, or bishops, whereas a bishop can. So when, when the bishop comes, traditionally speaking, there is a, a seventh candle that's lit. If you happen to attend Mass at the cathedral and bishop is the celebrant of the Mass, you'll see that there's seven candlesticks upon the altar. Um, it's one of the traditions of the church, and it's, it's coming back um, into um, the liturgy again. So for the next seven, eight weeks, I'm going to talk about the seven sacraments. Today being the Feast of the Baptist and the Lord, I'll talk about baptism. And then the eighth week, the week before Ash Wednesday, I will, I will talk um, for a second time on the most important sacrament, which is the Holy Communion, the sacrament of the Eucharist. Today's feast day of the baptism of the Lord is, is sort of a strange feast, but it's also one of the earliest feasts within the church. One may ask, well, why would Jesus be baptized? It's not a new question that's asked. Saint, Saint Maximus of Turin, uh, in his homily in, in about the year 400, says, well, someone's likely going to ask, why would Jesus be baptized? He, he then gives a response. He says that, that Jesus is not baptized because he needs to be made clean. Rather, Jesus is baptized to make the water clean for us when we are baptized. When we're baptized, the water that we see that's used cleanses us internally, cleanses us spiritually of, of any sin that we've committed, or most of all, the sin of, of Adam and Eve. When Jesus is baptized, he, he, first of all, he doesn't need to be baptized. John the Apostle says that when Jesus comes, because Jesus hasn't committed any sin. He's sinless. But he's baptized to refresh the waters, to make the waters clean for us. That gets into our baptism. What happens when you and I were baptized? The church asks us to, to baptize our children very early, not to wait a year, not to wait two years, not to wait even many months, but to baptize the child as soon as possible. It follows the tradition of the Jews. when In the Old Testament, when someone entered into the covenant, it was through circumcision, which was done on the eighth day. In the New Covenant, St. Paul says, the, the way we enter into the New Covenant is through baptism, brought into life with God. So, of course, the church asks us to, to bring our children into the covenant with God as soon as possible. So we're encouraged to baptize our children as soon as possible. Three things particularly happen in baptism. First of all, 
we are, are taken out of the realm of the devil. We're taken away from the dominion of the devil, which, which we all inherit from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, then bring all of us, their children, outside of heaven too and under the dominion of the devil. That's the first thing that takes place. In fact, every baptism that, that you see, there's an exorcism that takes place right before the water is poured upon the child's head or they're immersed into the water. The exorcism prayer says that, that they are taken away from the dominion of the devil and brought under the dominion of God. The second thing that takes place is our sins are washed away. First of all, the original sin of Adam and Eve. We're brought into life with God if we are adults or older than the use of reason, about the age of seven, and, and are baptized after that. Then our personal sins are also washed away. And the sin being washed away then brings us to the third point, which brings us into life with God. We become children of God. The last line of, of today's gospel, as Jesus you know, is out of the water, the heavens are open, the dove, or the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then this voice from heaven, the Father speaking, says, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. When you and I are baptized, the Father says the same thing to us. You are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. He says that same thing to us right now, today. Every time we, we come to Mass, as we renew the covenant of baptism... He says that same thing to us. We don't believe that though. I don't think we believe that. Because we're, we're used to hearing this, this thought process within our minds, which most of the time is not true. Things like this. If you're married, you'll hear things like, ah, your wife doesn't really care about you. Your husband doesn't care about you. He doesn't really love you. Or if your children... You're something like, your parents say they love you, but they don't really love you. God says he loves you, but he doesn't really. Why did you get that little cold last week? You know, God doesn't really love you. If he really loved you, he wouldn't have given you that cold. It's, it's this interior voice, which is not at all coming from Jesus. It's this interior voice, which tries, which tries to get us to doubt the love that God has for each one of us. That we don't have to accomplish something to be loved by God. We don't have to do something great to be loved by God. God doesn't love us because we did something great. God loves us so that we can accomplish something, so that we can do great things. Do, do you see the difference? He loves us and then we're able to do great things. Not we do great things and then He's going to love us. For those of you who are parents, I think you understand it well. I've used this example, I think, multiple times. You'll hear me use it again and again. That when you had your first child, and you held your child, your little boy, your little girl, you gazed at the child. 
You likely didn't say these words, but you certainly meant it. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. Ask yourself, what did that child do to earn your love? Nothing! Nothing! Child didn't do anything great. Child didn't sin. And yet you love that child amazingly. And that's the love that God has for us. And what he gives to us in baptism. After baptism, we, we begin to believe the lie of the devil. That we're not good enough. Baptism brings us into covenant with God. A covenant is something that's, that's strong. It's not a contract. A contract can be broken. A covenant is, is lasting. We're brought into relationship with God. We become His children. He adopts us. And He wants to pour His life into our hearts. He saves us from the dominion of the devil so that we can be in heaven. There's, there's a common a belief out there now today, and I don't know how it came about, but it, it's certainly present in our culture. And it's this, that if you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. And yet, when you ask someone who's an axe murderer in prison, and you ask them, are you a good person? They'd say, yeah, I'm a good person. Almost everyone you ask we all say, yeah, I'm a good person. God doesn't want us to just be good. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be set apart from the culture so that we can join Him in heaven. But with that lie, with that lie of the culture says, everyone's going to heaven. If Guys, listen to this. If everyone's going to heaven, why are we in church today? If everyone's going to heaven, why, why don't we come to Mass? There's no reason. It's, it's kind of like this is beginning to happen, you know, in our culture too, with sports or even other games where, you know, someone competes for, for the, to, to be the winner, and then in the end everybody gets the same prize. Like, what's up with that? Maybe that's why we think everybody goes to heaven. It's like, no. Those that strive... Those that strive to enter through the narrow gate are the ones that enter heaven. But in order to believe that, in order to believe in our baptismal call, that we are meant for heaven, we must also believe that there's a a chance of not being in heaven. God gives us the great gift of baptism because He wants us in heaven. And He commands us to baptize. Right before He ascended into heaven, He said to the apostles, Go therefore to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. How is he with us? He's with us in the sacraments. He comes to us in the sacraments, most of all Holy Communion. With that being said, I want to I close with our second reading. I want to read the whole thing. Again, because it talks quite a bit about baptism, as well as all the sacraments, the covenant with God. This is St. Paul talking to 
to, to one of his students who then became bishop, Titus. Beloved, he says to Titus, the grace of God has appeared. That's Christmas, guys. The grace of God has appeared. That's God becoming one of us. The grace of God has appeared, saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age as we await the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, this is talking about his, his passion and death, who gave himself for us to deliver us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people as his own, eager to do what is good, when the kindness and generous love of God our Savior appeared, not because of any righteous deeds we had done. That's what I talked about before. We didn't do anything amazing for God to become one of us. In fact, it was the opposite. He became one of us so that we can do great things. He appeared not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us. Have you ever been asked the question, are you saved? It's a very common, you know, um, evangelical Protestant phrase. I think it's a good phrase, though. Are you saved? The answer is here. St. Paul talking to Titus. He saved us. How? Through the bath of rebirth. It's baptism. How are we saved? How are we brought into the covenant of God? It's through baptism. He saved us through the bath of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he richly poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior. And here's why he did it. So that we might be justified. That we might be made right. That we might be made good, holy, by his grace, and become heirs in hope of eternal life, and become inheritors of eternal life. Why do we come to Mass this morning, guys? Because we want to be in heaven. We want to enter and renew that covenant that we received in baptism. So at this Mass, let us pray for the grace to, to renew our baptismal promises, the grace to reject Satan and to, to profess our faith in God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit.